Hello, and welcome to another episode of Altitude, where we talk to the founders of future high-flying companies in Latin America. I'm your co-host, Brian Reckworth. And I'm your co-host, Tommy Roju. Today, we're interviewing Stephanie Bonstatoledo, founder of Oya Care. Stephanie, also known as Ste, was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. She has a Wharton MBA and a master's degree focused in entrepreneurship and international studies from the University of Pennsylvania. And for the longest time, she's been passionate about health and wellness, especially for women. After working at McKinsey, taking on leadership roles at an e-commerce startup in Brazil and a cannabis startup in London, Ste decided to build her own business in the femtech space. Based on a lot of specialized research, she created Oya Care, a digital-first women's health clinic. Oya's first product is an at-home fertility test, the first to market in Latin America, officially launched this year. With Oya, Ste has the mission to put a woman's health in the right place, directly in her hands. Ste, great to have you on the Latitude podcast. Welcome to Altitude. Thank you for having me, Brian and Tommy. It's a pleasure to be here. Amazing. Let's kick it off. Say, how did you have the idea for Oya and how did you decide to take the leap into entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good question that I get a lot. Um, so as someone that spent 10 years in the business world between investment banking, consulting, private equity, uh, the female empowerment movement lies very close to my heart. And I noticed that a big part of this movement, movement was or still is uh, Keeping women, yeah, what is keeping women behind is really related to their relationship to their bodies and to their health. Uh, understanding that health is more than your physical aspects is also uh, considering your mental and social aspects. So on top of that, I saw two big issues. One is that the healthcare research and the healthcare solution overall were not thought about considering women's bodies or female bodies, for that matter. Um, for example, we know that until the 90s, the FDA in the U.S. didn't consider female bodies before approving a new drug, which is, you know, that's just an example, but it trickles down into very other aspects around the healthcare solutions that we have. And uh, the ones that do exist are focused on curing diseases, not keeping the people healthy. I think this is something that's not only related to female health, Uh, in general, healthcare solutions today are like this. But those two points really uh, resonated with me as well or kept bothering me. So I knew for a long time I wanted to build something uh, in this space, um, healthcare and female healthcare anchoring around preventive care, um, providing, and my goal was always provide women with the information and resources that they need to make the right decisions for their bodies and rather than cure diseases, use preventive care to bolster health. So I guess, long story short, uh, female empowerment movement always lie close to my heart, especially the more I was along, were going along in my career. And when I looked at the solutions around hair health, didn't really find any good ones. <laughs> well, I like the focus on the preventative aspect. I think that's a often overlooked area, but it's so important. And the focus doubling down on women, I think is, first of all, from a business perspective, it makes a lot of sense because it's It's an enormous market. And you know, I think at Latitude, we, we really care about diversity and something that we, it's by design in our organization. And so we love seeing uh, women-empowered businesses like yours. Tell us a little bit more about the research phase. Uh, what was that like? And how did you transform your findings into your roadmap? 
Yeah, perfect. I think this is another really good question. And uh, everything that I've done maybe can help other entrepreneurs or maybe I can get feedback to prove my process. It sounds very cliche, but for me, it all started with the why. So yes, I'm referencing Simon's book here. Uh, so start with why. Why are you doing this? What do you want to do? What do we want to change in, in the world? So that's where I started. Um, and again, like I said, it was the, the female empowerment movement uh, through health, preventive health. And then when I clearly understood my, my purpose and what values I wanted to bring to life with Oya, I started thinking about how to make this a sound business idea. Um, and then I went through, through four, I guess, very clear phases. The first one, doing a benchmark analysis. The second, a quantitative research. The third, a qualitative research. And fourth is a prototyping and testing phase. So for, for the benchmark analysis, first I did a, I did a data dump uh, using Crunchbase, but one can use really any uh, data pool that uh, one has access to, where I downloaded a lot of information around healthcare startups and femtech startups. Uh, so I had a list on Excel with hundreds of startups uh, in the field, and I started using criteria to filter them. Um, I used criteria that were super subjective, like, for example, uh, related to my female empowerment goals, or super objective, like total funding and speed from Series A to Series B, for example. At the end, I had a list of about 9 to 10 femtechs, and our startups, actually, and double down the research in terms of, okay, how did this company start? Uh, what problem did they start solving and why? So this I did through Google research on founders, uh, mostly through interviews that founders gave to the press. And once I had nailed down their first product and their first pain point, I tried to test these uh, in the Brazilian market with my quantitative uh, research, which was a practice, a survey monkey. So a survey designed by me and that I plotted on SurveyMonkey and spread out to my big WhatsApp groups. I ended up having over 700 answers, which I thought was really good. Of course, you know, it's not a perfect survey, but it was way better than I had before, which was nothing, and international reference points of view. So that allowed me to understand the big numbers around female health and their perceptions around their health solutions in Brazil. The third phase was... Again, with this insight of this quantitative research, I understood that I was actually going to start focusing on females between 30 and 40, and their top three uh, pain points were fertility, weight, and skin. So when my qualitative research was my third phase, I interviewed women within this age bracket, within you know all sorts of social classes, testing those pain points, testing potential solutions, uh, etc. So it kind of like did a more in-depth analysis of the findings I had found in the second phase. And then fourth, my fourth phase, which is the prototyping and testing phase, I already knew my target audience and I already knew the pain point that I was going to try to solve first, which was the fertility awareness one. So I started meeting with doctors and clinicians in the space that would help me design this first journey, this first product. And that culminated in testing this first journey with 25 females. So I did that testing in brackets of three groups. So first five uh, women and then 10 and finally 10 again. And of course, between one group and another, I was iterating and learning based on the feedbacks from the previous group. So the whole process was pretty long. It was nine months, probably longer than I expected. 
But hey, healthcare is tricky. It is not a healthcare that you can, you know, test and go rogue super much. I mean, you have to be careful with healthcare. There's not that much room for error, I would say. So, you know, I think nine months at the end, we're, we're a good cautious time. Thanks for sharing that process. And I think that it's one of those things, you know, fertility specifically, oftentimes, in my case, I'd mentioned to you in our first call that my wife and I had trouble getting pregnant, right? It was took a lot longer than we expected. We were both healthy. And it's ironic is that you kind of think you're alone in the process. And then all of a sudden you realize that, oh, this is actually something that many people face and it's a bit taboo. And then when you start kind of realizing that this is something that's a common problem. So I think that that area of focus is obviously uh, something that is much needed. And so it resonated with me right when we first talked because of our personal challenges that we had. Uh, I'm curious about the fundraising. Yeah, Stan, thanks for, for sharing that about the research. And I think I, when I speak with other entrepreneurs in Latin America, I many times just mention your case in terms of how you did this amazing customer, customer discovery. And I think it was a big element in able to fundraise like you did, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how fundraising went for you as a solo funder, uh, and especially having activity in, in femtech, which for some Latin American investors might still be kind of a niche, right? Yes, totally. Thank you for the question. And actually, I think it's somewhat related with Brian's comment before. Um, a lot of the female uh, pain points or problems, pain points, call it the pain points, are still very much taboo. So it's not something that you read about in news all the time. So yes, we started with fertility. It could have been pleasure and sex, for example, another huge pain point, but it's not very much known for especially the investor audience, uh, which is in the majority of the cases here uh, in Latin America, it's a masculine audience. So how was fundraising for me? Yes, I'm a solo founder. I'm a female founder <laughs> raising for Femtech. So I think when I started fundraising, it was a little bit under a year ago, so 10 months ago. It wasn't easy, I have to say. I think the part of being a female founder was harder than the part of being solo founder. I think the part about being solo founder, yes, didn't this wasn't great, but the fact that I had a structured plan and that I had done a ton of research helped in that aspect. So I guess people did feel confident that I had the capabilities of, you know, uh, starting a business. But the part about being female and the part about having a product that was considered niche by a lot of investors was really hard. Things are changing, so I'm not negative about it. I'm actually positive about it. So today I hear that I talked to a year ago, talking to me again in way other terms. They actually understand the space or understand it better. So I'm not trying to explain the space, uh, which was really more than half the time that I spent with investors was explaining what was femtech and how it was different from fintech. <laughs> it was not the same thing. So yeah. But um, well, I guess in general, it was hard for me, hard about being a female, uh, not so hard about being solo. And I think we've come a long way. I think things are getting better and better in that sense. I think it helps whenever there's movement abroad. A lot of investors look for their cues in the U.S. or in Europe and other places. And we have seen the rise of femtech much greater scale in the last several years. And what are your thoughts in, in terms of obviously you're bullish on the space because you're dedicating your life to this and it's a big focus for you. How do you think this will evolve in Latin America? Do you think it'll happen in kind of the similar shape? And do you think that's kind of opened up some of the doors, so to speak, for investors, maybe that investor that was unaware, but they see something happening in the U.S. that maybe says, oh, maybe this is something I should be paying attention to. Talk about that evolution. So 
totally uh, what's happening today with investors. So a year ago, I would talk to an investor and I have to explain what is femtech, what is it not. Today, it's like, okay, how big is femtech in Latin America? That's the question I get. So we are evolving. Uh, and I obviously believe that femtech is going to be huge in Latin America. We have 325 million women in Latin America. 52% of those are of reproductive age, which is when the, you know, the female is spending most, more on healthcare and especially preventive care. So we have that on one hand. And then the other hand, according to my research, we have like 72% of women that don't trust their current uh, solutions. They have questions they are afraid of asking or they didn't have a good experience the last time. So, you know, the disparity, the, the, the size of the potential market is great. And the, the dissatisfaction is also great. So I'm a believer in the market. Um, and in terms of like what kind of solutions are going to pop up, um, if the international market is any example for us here in Latin America, it's probably going to start with uh, personal pain points. So we see a lot in, especially in Europe, uh, I think the United States already more evolved, but Europe would say like it's the next phase was what Latin America could see in the upcoming uh, years is uh, a lot of women putting a business out there or building a business that tackles their, the recent pain point that they uh, went through which is great because we will have uh, a lot of good ideas, a lot of new ideas, but it tends to be very scattered. And eventually it will culminate into a more, you know, okay, one platform that has multiple uh, solutions. Uh, so with Oya Care, we want to be that one platform with multiple solutions, uh, one at a time though. So with that vision that we can start doing it all at, this, at the same time, doing well, everything at once. But yeah, we want to be that one platform with multiple solutions rather than, you know, only focusing or double down on fertility. And yeah, I think the future is great. <laughs> That's exciting. You kind of just described your long-term vision, but if you want to get us slightly deeper into what those solutions could look like uh, for you, like, and, and how the short-term plans for, mm -hmm. for, for Oya will roll into the long-term plans for you. So in the short term, we at OIA One build a strong team with the potential of leading Latin America's number one femtech. We want to continue what we did in the last first months of the year, which is testing, learning, iterating a lot on our first pro product to provide this one great experience around fertility awareness. Um, understand our target audience. So learn what she needs and how to communicate with them. So then we can be prepared for our other for our next products. And also, I think fourth, but not, you know, definitely very important is understand the healthcare system, its flaws and how we can use technology to improve it, which I think is sometimes taken for granted as well. This is our short term uh, plan. Our long term goal is one, change the culture around female health, anchor it around knowledge and preventive health care. The idea is that you know how to keep yourself healthy, not look for help when you're sick, you know, this whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing is collaborate with R&D around female health. Like I mentioned before, uh, a lot of the research that we have in our Occidental culture is not really considering female bodies. And we really want to help with data, help with resources, help wherever we can to to collaborate with this uh, incorporating of women in science, I guess. And third, we want to have a great place to work. 
So I fundamentally believe that people thrive when they feel well uh, in an environment they feel happy and well. So definitely this is our third long-term goal. Stay, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. I want to shift gears for a second. To give a little context, I had a conversation this morning with Angelica Mari, who is a very respected journalist who writes for Forbes and Bloomberg and other publications. Um, She's Brazilian. She asked me about the impact of pandemic. And given that you're not only just digital first, you're also breaking the boundaries between specialized physicians and treating women's health as a whole. You talked a little bit about the future of what you're building. She asked me specifically, how is the pandemic enabling new opportunities and in what sectors? And I said, pick a sector. And she said, healthcare. And so this is a perfect example of the benefit of what you're building in the kind of new world that's being built by being digital first. How do you think the future of healthcare is going to develop? And how are you looking to participate in that? Oh, I think that's a, that's a great question. To answer it super slowly and simply and objectively, I think technology is, I guess our technology in terms of virtual technology and the internet uh, can be used to enhance the the healthcare solutions. I think this is, you know, very well known already. Uh, but the biggest shift is, in my perspective, putting the user at center. So for the longest time, the incentive structure around healthcare was really to uh, become a super specialized uh, care provider. And once the person has like this super intense uh, sickness or huge problem, they will come to you and pay a lot of money uh, for you to help them to get uh, healthy again. And I think what we are seeing now, uh, which I very much endorse, is, okay, put the user at center. What is best for the user and how can we help the user in that sense, which is a mindset very common in other aspects of um, technology and startups, but I think it's now becoming very central for healthcare. And it's important to say that science should never be left behind, right? So for example, uh, I'm not saying that the super specialized care providers don't have their value. They have an immense value. And I mean, science today is basically able to perform miracles, uh, so which is, I think is amazing. But I don't think they should be the only players out there. I think there should be solutions to help keep people healthy. And we plan on, on help doing so, one, by being close to the end user, understanding how and why she does what she does and how can we help for, for it to be the best way to, to, to keep her health. Uh, two, by promoting knowledge. Really, uh, we do a lot of things, for example, Instagram, Reels, we're dabbling around TikTok. Sounds maybe silly, but hey, this is where the consumer is and this is where we can tell her how to use the information that is already in the science world in a way uh, that she can digest in her daily life. Um, So third is making it accessible. A lot of the solutions are very expensive and if you don't have a killer job or a killer insurance, you you don't have access to it. So really use technology to make it more accessible. And fourth, like I said before, always, always be science-backed. You know, even in, on TikTok, <laughs> we have this role, this this, inter- this internal rule that even if we're being silly, we have to be science-backed. Um, even if we believe in astrology, we're not going to talk about astrology, you know, because it's not science-backed yet. <laughs> I love that. I like the combination. It's something that also incumbent health providers 
I mean, let's face it. I'm not going to see the incumbent health providers popping in on TikTok explaining some really important educational aspect of women's health. That's just not going to happen. And like you said, you got to go where the consumers are. And so I think that's a really smart strategy and a great way to dialogue with your with your customer uh, or before they become a customer and build that reputation and, and be kind of that friend to them and support system. It is, it's an important clarification to make sure that science back because healthcare provider. But I really like that focus and I think it... It humanizes the service you have, which is is really important. And we are doubling, doubling down on TikTok with Latio too, right? <laughs> That's true. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. We just hey. kicked off our TikTok efforts and and Reels. So shout out to uh, to the team, Lucas uh, and Kevin working on that. Stay. So we, we, we had the privilege to have you in our cohort one of the Latio Fellowship. If you had to share one piece of advice with other founders, what would that be? So... My advice is, of course, very personal. Uh, so whoever is listening, take it or leave it. Don't have to feel like this is the truth. It's my truth. So I think having an early team that you really trust, co-founder or not co-founder, is super key. Uh, nobody can do it all. So really surround yourself by people that you trust uh, at the beginning. And then second, I would say have the passion for what you're solving for. The famous start with why. I really believe in it. Um, in my opinion, it gives me the energy to always keep trying to solve, always trying to be creative, always keep trying to to understand what I'm not understanding. Um, and it gives me energy. It doesn't take energy. Yeah. That's great. I love that. And start with why is it connects with uh, kind of why we started Latitude. Maybe share a little bit about your experience in Latitude and then uh, one word to you that exemplifies entrepreneurship. I think Latitude was um, the only place I've ever found that reunited so many Latin American entrepreneurs. Um, so I found multiple groups of entrepreneurs before, you know, say in healthcare or say in Sao Paulo, but I've never found a place where I can find so many Latin American uh, entrepreneurs at once that I had no idea we're doing brilliant things, you know, right there, right next door. So I think this is really, really amazing uh, and very unique to Latitude. And the other thing that really um, was really impactful for me during my cohort at Latitude was, were the workshops. So there were a couple of workshops where I really was able to learn and learn methodologies in practice uh, with my idea already. Uh, in mind. So it wasn't really a theoretical exercise that, say, I had during the MBA or during undergrad. It was a real life uh, exercise that in one hour, I knew way more about my business or about my strategy than I knew before. So I think the workshops were really great uh, for me. And in one word, what exemplifies entrepreneurship for me? Um, I guess before I say the one word, I would say that For me, being an entrepreneur is uh, almost like the opposite of being a venture capitalist. Not in a bad way or a good way. It's just the opposite in the sense that as an entrepreneur, you're looking at a bunch of risks and choosing which one is the one that you are, you're willing to take. Versus as an investor, you're like, okay, this is risky. How can I de-risk it a little bit? Uh, and so when you're looking at something and see this is, oh, this is an amazing risk. I really want to take it. Um, This is, I guess, entrepreneurship for me. And I guess culminating this in one word, maybe two, if I may, is passion and purpose. So that's entrepreneurship for me. Love it. Yeah. R familiar with the concept that I really like, ikigai, which is uh, 
kind of the culmination of what you're good at, what the world needs, you know, how you can make money. It's all, all of those things kind of in, built into one or reason for exactly. being. So thank you, stay and keep flying high. Vamos la thumb. Thank you. Vamos la thumb. <laughs> Appreciate it. Amazing one. Oh, great. Thank you guys. Running the leading startup community in Latin America costs money, but some people are taking notice. So I want to take a minute to thank our early supporters. At Viva Real, we were an early customer of Zendesk. Other companies like Nubank, Loft, RD Station, they all use Zendesk to keep their customers happy. Zendesk for Startups offers Zendesk software for customer service and sales for free for six months. To learn more, head to zendesk.com startups. Also, we're really happy to inform that Latitude Fellows now have access to a ton of extra exclusive benefits on top of the six months free, thanks to Zendesk's support of our community. Go to latitude.com to learn more about the Latitude Fellowship and apply. I learned the hard way that lo barato sale caro. If I had worked with Gunderson from the beginning, maybe our company wouldn't have had to pay $100 million in unnecessary taxes because of our corporate structure. We're lucky to have their support along with Kerry Olson and Bronstein Zilberberg in developing one of our first products, Latitude Go. We want the process of incorporating companies in Latin America to be 10 times cheaper and twice as fast. If you're starting a venture-backed company, you can check it out at go.latitude.com. I've been banking with Silicon Valley Bank for over a decade as one of their first customers in Latin America. They're committed to the region and have made great introductions over the years. We want to thank them for their support of Latitude. To learn more, visit svb.com.